Susie Warren-Smith and as you know I normally talk to the most amazing food producers, growers and farmers and today I'm joined by Marie Preble who is a sheep farmer from Kent. Hi Marie. Hi. And also Chrissy Bolden who is from Romney Marsh Walls who also describes herself as a farmer's wife which is which is a good description. Hi. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good description. So we're going to talk a little bit about what it's like to be farming in Kent at the moment. But also, um, what an amazing, can you say, would you say career, Chrissy? Would you say career or, or vocation farming is and vocation, being outside? lifestyle. A lifestyle, absolutely. So Chrissy, let's um, talk to you first. So you're not actually a farmer. You don't describe yourself as a farmer. You sort of accidentally fell into a farming family. I did. So, um, yeah, my background is really sales and marketing. Um, and I met Paul when I was in my early 20s. Um, and then we got married. And therefore, I married into a family farm, a generational family farm. Did you know what that meant? I beforehand? had no idea. <laughs> yes. Um, just as well that my father had his own um, business and was self-employed himself. So at least that part wasn't a complete shock. But when I say lifestyle for farming, that is so true. Because when you've got, especially animals, it is seven days a week. And it is every day. And you've got to be so passionate and love it. And it is a wonderful lifestyle. But it is really hard work. And I don't think anything could actually prepare you for it if you haven't grown up with it. Yep, yep. So, so just um, explain to us then, you know, you, you, you've got a family farm and, uh, you know, it's Paul's family. Um, what exactly was the setup when you, so when you first sort of realised it was a farming family? Um, well, I always knew, obviously, that it was a farming family. Uh, I had known the family for quite some time. Um, and, you know, the setup is is a partnership and... Paul was brought into that partnership after we got married so he effectively worked for for the family up to that point um and what was the farm like what, what so do you do? we are um, sheep farmers i'm presuming we're a mixed farm right. um predominantly arable so we farm on about three and a half thousand um acres on the romney marsh and we we have um livestock as well so we've got just over a thousand romney ewes which are indigenous to the marsh um, and then we also have about 300 suckler herd all of that is a form part of our modern day farming system and like a lot of large farms it is very intensive in the fact that you know we've, we've got machinery that definitely helps um, work the ground so you, today as we stand on the main farm there's Paul his dad um, they've got a couple of chaps who work and his aunt and they basically manage 3,000 acres yeah. wow yeah. I mean I'm just trying to imagine that the actual size of that is absolutely huge and then presumably what people don't realize is I, I, I know you're going to really laugh at me here Chrissy so I have an allotment 
<laughs> so, and, and it wasn't until I got an allotment where I was thinking, well, those aren't growing the same as they did last year, or, or you know, this hasn't quite worked out as I thought, whereas last year it was like this. And, and then you get a bout of weather, which is really annoying because it's not quite what you want. And then one, when one thing has been cropped, it's like, well, that's all bare now. Can I do something with that rather than just leave it? I mean, it's constantly changing all the time. So even when you plan, uh, the weather has a huge amount to do with it as well, doesn't it? You are constantly at the perils of the weather. And, you know, the common joke being farmers always talk about the weather. There's <laughs> yeah, a very to. good reason for that because it never does or behaves like it should. But somehow, even with the way the climate sort of is changing, it still seems to come out okay. But there's definitely moments when you're looking at bare patches. You mean this year it was incredibly dry. Yeah, very. But look at it now. You know, we we now have luscious grass everywhere again. It's incredible how nature does sort of adapt itself. But of course, when you're you know fields of crop the last thing you need is failures so you are working with your agronomist you're working with advisors you you know they're drawing on their knowledge um and and farming is like having an enormous garden but you're you're managing that landscape and you're trying to better it and improve it because really it's a long-term game and and balls ultimate vision is to be able to pass that on to our children so you know he wants to be leaving in the better state um so it is you know constantly evolving in that sense yeah yeah and because of your background in marketing you were you you've done you know and you've got all these sheep you've done more things haven't you in terms of trying to look at how you can use that as opposed to just selling the, the 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 meat so to speak yeah absolutely so we actually diversified with the wool because sadly british wool is hugely undervalued i mean wool around the world is i think it represents about one percent of the world fibers the rest being made up of synthetics cotton and silk so it is wool itself is a natural renewable sustainable and incredibly versatile material um yet so underused and we are fortunate to have british wool board Um, who act as a governing body, collecting the wool and selling in an open market, a bit like the Milk Board did. So they're very invaluable and we do need them. What I really wanted to do, and Paul as well, was to to try and put British wool back on the map. And we, we felt perhaps there was a market as farmers to be able to turn this wonderful material into and then product that didn't have to travel all over the world. And, and, and just, just slightly to interrupt there, I mean, mm. the whole point of a farm is the more you can diversify, the less the risk is. So, so you've always got something that's compensating for something else if, if it doesn't work out. And, and so obviously if you've got that much land, you, you, you need to have lots of different elements to it so that if one, well, I don't say if, there will always be a failure, won't there, uh, every year, but you just don't know what it's going to be. It is. <laughs> diversifying for farms is basically you know survival, um, survival yeah, <laughs> yeah not having your eggs all in one basket and with the wool particularly you know at that point again it was almost deemed well worthless so by the time you paid for someone to share it you were getting less in return for yeah. your wool so it was okay well how can we turn this natural material into an end product that actually adds value as well to everyone through that process and and that's really where Romney Marsh was, was born if you like so um, using any sort of byproduct you can 
so it doesn't get wasted at all Um, and and trying to think creatively especially with your marketing background how you (laughs) what you can come up with I suppose well I mean the the biggest thing for me always is that you know more than one head definitely gives you more ideas yeah and so listening to customers meeting and networking people um you know my makers have been um over a period of 14 years of being out there and meeting and greeting and getting ideas so it hasn't been an overnight thing you know you've got a bit like farming you've got to be in it for the long haul yeah um, and also trial and error a bit seeing oh, what hugely. works and what doesn't yes yeah. definitely yeah. so what sort of products do you do you make now i We've, think i've seen soap have i got that right no that's right so the lanolin is the natural yeah. oil from the wool yeah. um so we have a chemist who basically makes our toiletries range um lanolin is as they is, is a wonderful um oil that is one of the most natural closeness to our own skin tone so it hydrates and barriers but on this on the sheep is what waterproofs them effectively yep. so you wash it out anyway so it's a natural byproduct and we just loved the idea that nothing from the wool needed to be mm. wasted um but we sell from the raw fleece to it being just washed putting into stuffing into the yarn we have throws and materials then out of the materials we've met like hat tailor who makes our hats um you, you know say so it's it's really evolved as we've gone on i think the last count we've probably got about 54 different products <laughs> oh wow which is phenomenal yeah. but yeah. that is through you know that i say that has been a long period of time that's been as we've met more incredible makers yeah. but it is about making the right collaborations so for us is we've got a wonderful wool and we understand the properties and what you can make with it and then we've got experts in their own field producing these wonderful products but our ethos has always been it has to be made in the uk because we wanted as british farmers that whole cycle so um we're talking about sheep now if i can if i can talk to um marie marie now now sheep i love sheep so I know everybody says they're a bit stupid. Um, I don't know whether that's true. Um, I don't think it is, actually. I think but, we're but there's a bit a, harsh. Uh, yes, but there's a, uh, the Kent landscape is dotted with sheep, particularly Romney Marsh or whatever. Tell me, you're a sheep farmer. Tell me about your love of sheep. What, what's great about them? So oh. I am a sheep farmer on a, on a slightly smaller scale than the Boldens, um, 300 rather than... 3,000. Well, 300 acres <laughs> rather than 3,000 acres yeah. and, and just, yeah, 300 ewes. Um, yeah, so I've got incredible respect and admiration for, for what Christina's done with building the business up and having that finished product from the farm and such a range of exciting things made mm. from wool. So I'm back at the beginning of the process. I'm, I'm a sheep shearer, so I see quite a few of the sheep in Kent because I go around each summer um, as a contractor and work on farms shearing, shearing the sheep. So, so I see, see the process from I, the beginning. I have and never Christina's met, managed to, um, never met a sheep shearer. Uh-huh. I've never met a sheep shearer. Now, I believe, um, Mary, probably you're famous because you were on Women's Hour as well, weren't you? Uh, I was on Women's Hour. I wouldn't say I was famous, but I'm just I'm just a sheep shearer and a sheep farmer. But they were interested to talk to me about about my story. So, so tell so us a little bit about how on earth you got into sh- into sheep shearing. Um, I mean, is that normal? I think it is really. I mean, your husband Paul Christina is 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 a shearer as well, and I yeah. think it's something that sh- as sheep farmers, you know, you look back a few decades, sh- farmers used to shear their own sheep much more frequently, and they'd do their own, and then they'd go around to the neighbours and help with theirs. So it was much more of a sort of mm. collaborative effort. Now it's uh, slightly more kind of 
the contractors that come between different farms and, and do it and there's fewer farmers doing the job themselves but you know we've got sheep and at some stage I would have had the contractors come to the farm and I saw them saw them working away and wanted to have a go so I must have asked and then got the bug myself and did a few courses and I've taken it from there so so explain um, to me then you've got a sheep it's it's, yeah. it's got a bit woolly and obviously um uh, you know it's, it's a bit hot and uh, you need to relieve it of its coat because we're going to use it explain exactly well, first of all, do you need to do that? Is is, is it something that sheep yeah, need? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're not taking it off because we need to use it. Yeah. Um, we're taking it off primarily for the welfare of the animals. So we generally shear in the summer. So obviously, you know, it's warm for a start. But um, if you don't take the fleece off, that animal will suffer horribly um, because flies actually lay their eggs in the wool um, and the sheep will suffer with maggots and, and what we call fly strike. So it's it's a fundamental part of the sheep farming calendar. Um, but if, if they were left, then in nature they would have just had to have dealt with that. Whereas we're sort we're of no, not really, not the not the breeds that we that we right. keep. So so the, so the Romneys particularly can have over three kilos of wool. Um, wow. So the, there are wool shedding type sheep, and and if you look across the world, like the the desert sheep, that they don't need shearing. You know, they they yep. they just have a more of a hair type fibre. But the but the wool that we've bred has been bred by farmers so now we have a responsibility to those animals yep. to to and uh, safely effectively humanely remove it every year so, so, so if you didn't do that you would in. literally get a sheep that could be like, like you know i don't know 10 foot wide it would be it would be incredibly <laughs> woolly and Four. it probably wouldn't survive very long because yeah. either the maggots would get it or it would get stuck on its back um yeah. and then die that way so so yes absolutely it's a, it's a job that we absolutely have to do um and do you just that once a year or, or, or most people do it once a year some people do it twice yep. um depending on their particular farming system um and the breed of the sheep I'm and the breed to. of the sheep yeah, yeah. so in yeah. the uk we have over 60 different breeds and lots of different crossbreeds of sheep so in that there is a huge variety of fiber a huge variety of types of animals and setups so as a shearer you go around different farms and you see sort of all of it mm. really and then you know, coming from a farm, you know, from the farm, I get to see what I, what I can learn from other people, and then take it back to the farm. And yeah, you know, always people like sharing Christina knowledge. Paul, really. You know, you get yeah. inspired by what they're doing, and with the fibre business, maybe that's something I can look at. You know, and do do the whole process mm. from start to finish. So there's quite. So, so as a as a non farming person, yeah. So you you rock up somebody's farm, and hopefully they've all got them in a place for you. Ideally, pen in one. Not one. always, but. <laughs> and then, and then, um, I think some of us have seen it on telly, sort of thing. So you just, do you just get hold of this sheep. Do you, what, what, what sort of, uh, what do you use in terms of, you know, so tools? the setup would generally be like as a shearer, you turn up to the farm, and I take my trailer with me. So it's a trailer that's specifically been designed and built with shearing in mind. Um, so you rely on the farmer having already gathered their sheep with a dog Hopefully. or a quad bike <laughs> yeah. into into a pen of some description and held them ideally in advance so everything they've had chance to calm down and then you set your trailer up and the sheep basically are pushed and naturally flow through because of the design of the trailer naturally throw th flow through the trailer and then i turn them i shear them and then they jump off the trailer happy without their fleece so you know, ready to get back to grazing do it off is, is it all come off in one piece if you're really yes. good at what you do so an adult sheep will have say it is a romney and it's got three kilos of wool the idea is that you you shear that to, to maintain the fiber length so you're trying to do the best job you can by the animal but also in terms of you know especially with someone like Chrissy who's who's using that fiber you want not to cut into the staple of the wool so that you've got the, the main fiber length that you can use more effectively for, for lots of different products so as soon as you start cutting that wool you're, you're decreasing the value of the wool so yeah. that's your job as a shearer to try and do the best that you can um, and yeah it does come off in one one basically looks like 
one big duvet you could call it you know it's a one big <laughs> one big one big fleece that we then roll up and we pack into bags and and all the farmer does and then it and and if you're going through British wool it will get graded in the depots in the local depots or up in Bradford where the headquarters are and then it gets um, a core sample taken of the, of the of the wool um and and graded according to various lots of different characteristics of that wool and then it will get marketed on behalf of farmers and sold around the wall for carpets or various other hmm. there's so many different uses of wool of and course. i think it's such an exciting time to hope that people you know with the environment in mind start looking to wool as the best alternative to plastics you know if you're if you're wearing synthetics that's that synthetic sweater will be degrading as you wear it the microfibers that will be coming off that that jumper every time you wash it are degrading into the environment and it doesn't last very long whereas a wool jumper you can wear your whole life and I'm that, worried that now. product I'm will trying to look at the label label on my yeah, jumper that I'm wearing it will. <laughs> um it will last your whole life and then when it does become time to get rid of that wool that jumper that product you can you could bury it in the garden and it would decompose naturally so yep. put it in your allotment and you won't have any waste you know yep that's polluting the environment so it's we really have such a responsibility to make the most of this fire because as Chrissy said you know it has been just a waste product but there's so much insulation there's so many different products there's some really exciting stuff happening with I'm beginning it. to see it in packaging actually yeah, which, which is really in, interesting you know to, to insulate yeah and all sorts yeah. of there is so much potential it just needs the investment and people like Chrissy who are excited about the product that have got the the you know the, the background in marketing or business that, that want to be innovative mm. and take these things forward. I think it's very interesting sitting here in Kent and today we're looking out over uh, you know over the sea. I've got the channel there. I can see France if you just look a little bit on the left there. Um, and in the days of smuggling and things like that, you know, wool was uh, an incredibly sought after commodity which which lots of smugglers but also people were selling to France and beyond because it was absolutely the best quality in the world. Absolutely, still this country there? was built on the back of the wool trade. Yeah, and we're still got that sort of quality. Yeah, for sure, and and it's no coincidence that the Romney breed, you know, came from Kent, and it was, and it's the most, you know, it's been exported around the world. And look at New Zealand, Australia, you know, New Zealand has, you know, a massive population of Romney sheep that all originated from Kent. So there's still farmers that are doing it here, but it's about where do we go with it now, and yep. and looking at the genetics and looking at. The, the breed as the perfect solution to the changing environment. So this summer, as Chrissy mentioned, like it's been so dry. And if I think I think if I'd had any other breed, I would have really struggled and I would have had to be supplementary yep. feeding them. The Romney is a very resilient, resourceful animal and it will survive on very little. So I'm grateful that in, in the changing environment, it's actually perfectly suited to the sort of sheep farming system that I want, which is one that's as hands-off as possible in the sense that it wants to be as regenerative and as and as natural, natural as yeah. possible. I don't want to be having to handle them more than they need, you know, as low stress and as best for the environment as possible. So I'm, you know, with my own farm, that's that's the direction that I'm taking it in. And if I, I could possibly breach the, the subject, which is, broach the subject, which is um, a, a Romney Marshall lamb to eat, it's gorgeous, isn't it? I mean, it is beautiful. It certainly is, and that's sort of more my my area has been, um, you know, that finished product from the farm has been doing some lamb boxes, so lamb, hogget, mutton, you know, it's a brilliant product, and when it is all grass-fed, you know exactly what you're buying. Yeah. Um, and I encourage people to come to the farm. I, I really, really, that's that's my passion, really. If, if Christina's is wool, yes, I'm a shearer, and I'm massively excited about wool, but I'm also a real foodie. So for me, if I get the chance to talk to chefs about farming, 
that's the, where the magic happens for me. And could um, you explain the difference? Yeah, could you explain the difference between uh, spring lamb uh, that we're all very excited about when it goes to Easter, but also what 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 is a hogget and what is mutton? So a hogget is over a year old, um, and a lamb is anything less than a year old, and then mutton is over two years old, and it has to be hung. So there's different qualities to the meat; it becomes a more mature flavour, has a darker darker colour. But interesting that we eat, you know, spring lamb. Really, my lamb, and, and I think Christina's the same, but my lambs are only born in April, mm. um, so they're never ready for, for, for Easter. So it's a kind of bizarre concept, really, the seasonality of it. We, we really need to educate people around that, because um, unless you're lambing out of season, so if you were lambing in January, yes, you possibly could have some lambs ready for, for Easter, but a lot of British consumers would be buying New Zealand lambs New Zealand on the other lamb. side of the world Easter, yeah. just for Easter without really asking the questions about where it's come from. So it's a great yeah. time to be able to talk about that, especially with um, you yeah. know food costs going up. We're really encouraging people to, to, to meet their farmers, meet the growers and just ask some questions about where their food's coming from. Yeah. I'm going to... I'm guessing you 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 agree with that, Chrissy. I mean, I, I, I do. love um, I love mutton. Whereas, whereas when I was a kid, that's exactly where I was going with you it. You know, lots of people say mutton is the stuff that doesn't get sold and it's old and there's something wrong with it. It's it's got a taste profile all its own. An amazing flavour. There's nothing like slow cooked mutton. Mm. And I would I actually personally I, I like lamb, but I prefer mutton if it's really well cooked. And I think. It's just one of those dishes that is so un like it's been overlooked. Yeah. Um, but what Marie said about the timing wise, I I completely agree. You know, for for the UK, there's a big education piece there because, like you say, for Easter, that's when we only start lambing, and we're not sending off our lambs yeah. <laughs> when they're born. So it's all coming in from abroad, and and again, I think that whole localized support more local you know rather than this global especially with everything that's happening around the world is so important and sometimes you know if we understand the seasonality of food particularly then actually that can be exciting too you don't necessarily have to have lamb every single day of you know no, I mean I, I absolutely love asparagus in May and June and I will not buy it for the rest of the year because I know it comes from Peru but I don't know how many people realize that yeah um, and it's not and then I'm very excited about it when it comes to May again absolutely I think maybe what I should be looking at now is I love lamb cutlets and I really love a uh, loin of lamb because actually if you cook that to me it's nicer than fillet steak um, I should be looking at that in June and July, shouldn't I? Yes. Mm, I so maybe this is it. We need to start it from here. Just about, yes. yeah, a bit of a campaign. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Do you agree with that? Definitely. Yeah. And it, it's great to hear you talk about different cuts because I think a lot for lo- a lot of people, lamb is a roast dinner, you know, as a treat once a month or, you know, infrequently. But when we look at all the different, you know, versatile cuts, um, it's great for barbecues. There's so many different things that we can do with it, but it is just that education piece. And 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 as a farm, as farmers, we have the responsibility to produce what people want as well. And what people want is consistency. So if we can, like with the Romneys, you know, we're we're getting a very consistent carcass throughout the the production cycle of that, and we know what we're producing. And and I think as farmers, you know, we really have to respect that and 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 make sure what we're producing is what people want and and to the set to the standard that people expect so if they're only going to use lamb as a treat you know which it should it, be yeah, yeah which it should be and people are saying you know eat less meat that's fine but you know choose wisely so 
and and learn a bit about how to cook it. Yes. So you can get excited. So my favourite, I get very excited. I'm getting excited now. <laughs> getting hungry. Shoulder of lamb roasted. Nice. Great in curry. Mm. Yeah. See, I, I make my curries with shoulder of lamb. It's gorgeous, yeah, gorgeous, Yeah, there's some gorgeous. amazing, you know, Middle Eastern recipes. And Fantastic, When you look yeah. at cuisine across the world, you know, with spices, it's perfect for lamb. It works well with sweet. It works well with sour. Yeah. You know, there's just so much we can do with it, but it's just getting people to, you know, learn about it for a start and, and then explain what we do and why British lamb is so great and, 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 and what we're doing, particularly in Kent or with, you know. But you see, where else would you get good lamb? Just asking, where else would you get good lamb? If you because it's to do with the grass and you know, I mean, it's great here for lamb. I think absolutely, it's and fabulous. it's exactly what New Zealand are doing too. You know, yeah. great, great lamb yeah, of grass, but yes, unfortunately, but they're the other side of the world. New Zealanders so eat New Zealand it. lamb. Yeah, British people. Yeah, eat British lamb. and we're not producing it year round, so we certainly need it. However, if people can choose, you know, as we've talked about seasonally, mm. know when it is in season and go for British when it's available and, and speak to you know local farm shops or suppliers it's making me really hungry yeah where are we going for lunch <laughs> yeah where are we going for lunch so um just to, to recap um chrissy Bolden, you're you're from well you like you are a farmer's wife you you're farming all these amazing acres with 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 your family um but also romney marsh walls if anybody's interested in romney marsh walls we will do a link so that so that people can find thank where, you where can they go Listen, you've got so many products, we can't even talk about them all. So so wh- wh- where would we go? Okay, so if you would like to see our range, then we have our website, um, which is www.romneymarshwalls.co.uk. That's great. And also, just to finish off, uh, we really would recommend that, 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 that getting into farming, into growing, is an amazing lifestyle choice and, and, and a great career, do you not think? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not something I would have considered, I guess being from a girls grammar school and I think Chrissy was the same you know it's not necessarily a career career option that's discussed um I went to university I studied environmental sciences but you know having the opportunity to come back to a farm and experience it and learn all of the jobs you know you have to be a very versatile person to be able to yeah adaptable and there's so many different skill sets that are involved so it's constantly challenging and it's constantly changing so um, it is an incredible way of life and it is an incredibly you know, satisfying job. Would you really. concur with that? I would. Um, for young people, what I would say is do join up for the young farmers that are out there and do look at agricultural colleges. Um, there's some great courses. As well, courses. there's some really yeah. good courses. Don't be afraid of approaching farmers for some work experience as well. Um, they're all really good entry levels you know, don't fear not being able to get on a farm just because you weren't born onto one is what I would say. But if it's what you want to do, be prepared for hard work. Yep, and, and and for me as well, it's great. Who wants to be sitting in front of a computer for, for you know, 35 hours a week when actually you can be out and about sometimes? And, and some people don't want to do that. They want to be out and about and using hands. And nothing wrong with that. Britain's built on that. Definitely. So. And I think it's going to be an interesting time coming up with farming because a lot of yeah. farmers are over 65 and at some stage they will have to retire. And if their farms, you know, don't necessarily have someone to pass the farm on to, but they need someone to come into the business, then yep. as long as that next generation are there and willing and hardworking and, and are prepared to put the put the hours in and also speak to people, you know, get off, get off 
and and, and meet people, speak to farmers, and, and get working because there will be opportunities. You know, the farm, the farming, the whole system of farming is changing. The whole subsidy system. I mean, we've got a whole other conversation to have there, but things are changing, and young yeah, people will be needed. Quite, and there's some quite exciting developments going on too in terms of innovation. Yeah, absolutely. Really so there's, and it's not just the day to day farming part. You know, as a business and as a as an agri business, you know, there's yeah. so many different aspects to farming. Whether it's you know coming from a seed feed you know there's manufacturing there's there's a million different things that are related to farming um so it's certainly yeah opportunities there perfect well marie preble who is the expert sheep farmer of kent i'm allowed to say that aren't i the no expert, expert. <laughs> sheep farmer again uh, thank you for joining us and uh chrissy bolden romney marsh walls thank you again uh, so you've been listening to the feed talk show as you know we're syndicated radio stations across the uk and further afield as well as being available on Audible, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes and the podcast app on your phone. Don't forget we're on the fabulous Eat Farm Now broadcasting platform and don't forget we're also on Podcast Radio. Mm. Have a good week. Bye-bye.